fact that we are made to image God, to show his glory to all of creation. But in the fall, that got messed up. Our ability to accurately reflect God is a mess now. Um, But if we are Christians, then we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, right? Conforming us to God the Son, who is the perfect image of God, the one who perfectly reveals God. And when God glorifies us at the resurrection, we will be made perfectly too. Knowing that that's the end, having God's spirit to empower us to progressively improve to that end, why, when disaster strikes or when we uh, uh, face some sort of stress, is our natural reaction selfish? I mean, isn't yours, isn't the first thing you think of, why me? Why does this have to happen to me, why, no matter what the stressor is, we we tend to turn inward. We don't want that to be our reaction, and we try to train ourselves out of that. It even feels like a war is raging. In fact, that's what it is. So in families, we've been looking at relationship in families, husbands and wives, parents and children, when there are stressors there. When there are battles going on, is that really where the battle is? Open up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at the texts on both sides of these family relationships that we've been talking about. So we'll start with the postscript, what what comes after. So Ephesians chapter 6, somebody just read for us in an out loud voice, verses 10 through 12. Ephesians 6. 10 through after telling us how families are supposed to be in relationship, how it is that God is sanctifying us in these relationships, Paul jumps to this. It's really the climax of the letter. It's it's sort of the final word in the letter, but it's right on the heels of these family relationships, and so it relates directly to these things. When it feels like there's a battle in our relationships, where does Paul say the battle is really occurring? Yeah, this is a spiritual war. When did that begin for us? Back with a snake, which showed up in Genesis 3. For 6,000 years, the deceiver has been trying to break down the picture of God, trying to break down the family so that the family can't reflect God's glory, trying to to draw uh, children and parents apart 
so that that relationship can't reflect God's character. This is an ongoing battle. Um, what does Paul say we're to do? In verses 10 and 11, it, when we recognize, and when we study it, this is when we recognize it, what are we to do when we find ourselves engaged in the war, in a battle in this big war? What does he say do? Yeah. And you've probably studied that armor before. We don't have time to go through every piece tonight, but uh, I know that kids typically will study this with maybe a little suit of armor, and they put on each piece and learn about all these things. But somebody read for us verses 13 to 20. calls this the armor of God. Why? It's something that God provides. In fact, if you flip back to Isaiah chapter 59, let me read starting uh, in verse 15. Listen, listen to what this is. The Lord saw it. He, he's Looking at evil and oppression, the Lord saw it, it displeased him. There was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. For the coastlands he will render repayment. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. Why is this the armor of God? Because it's the armor of God. This is, this is the armor God put on. When he sees evil and oppression, this is the armor he puts on when he does that. Paul says, Put that on. What's the point in, in Isaiah? What's the point of doing that? So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. What happens when you put on the armor of God? Instead of yielding to the snake from the garden, who is still prowling around like a lion for you, instead of yielding to him, what if you put on this armor of God? then the world 
comes to fear God. Why didn't you react this way when that happened to you? Because I'm in spiritual warfare, that's why. Because that's not the way we're trained. That's not what soldiers of Christ would do. What, what do we do? When we face difficulties, we put on God's armor. We take on his mantle. What's the end game for Paul? We see in Isaiah that the end game for God is that people are going to fear him. People are going to know his glory. What about for Paul in verse uh, 20 of Ephesians 6? Well, 19 and 20. wants their prayers. He's encouraging them to put on this armor, seemingly following his example. He wants them to pray. What's the purpose of all this? So that he can proclaim the gospel. What's the gospel do? It makes people who ought to fear God, fear God. It makes everyone recognize who God is, to see his character, to see his glory, which is what we were designed for to begin with. So the end game for Paul is proclaiming the gospel, sharing God's glory. That's what Paul wants to do. He says that we're to put on the armor so that we can do that. So what instructions does this bit about putting on this armor showing God's glory, what's it follow? I've already told you. It does, but in Paul's letter, Paul, remember New Testament letters have, have some sort of introductory section that tells who wrote it, who it's to, um, some sort of a greeting or a blessing on the hearers or the readers of the letter then they will go through these are the facts and then somewhere in the letter it shifts because of these facts here is what is expected of you here's what I want from you or here's what is necessary because of these truths and so Paul in the first three chapters tells us the so what here's what God has done so what the last three chapters of Ephesians so as he's going through that, just before here, where is he? Paul's in prison. Where's his writing? What, what, what's he writing about? does this connect to family? I tell you, when you, when you try, when you seek to walk in the way that we ought to, there's going to be spiritual warfare. If things always feel calm, you're either walking intimately with God or you're trying to, and if you're trying to, well, no, it, it, sorry. 
if, if things are going smoothly, you're not trying to. You're either with him or you're so far from him that the deceiver doesn't care. It's not worth the battle to him. So as you start to live this out, as you start to live out this unity in the body, as you start to live out family relationships the way that God designed them from the very beginning. We looked at that weeks ago, Genesis 1 and 2. From the very beginning, when you try to do that, you're going to be in spiritual warfare. You're going to be doing battle. Does that mean that if you're battling with your spouse, that the spouse is the enemy? Usually, spouse is supposed to be on your team, right? Do you, do you think he or she is? Right. Which is the selfish thing that comes up whenever you ex- experience stress, what comes out? My selfishness. Who can expose my selfishness if I'm all by myself? No one. Who can expose my selfishness if I'm with someone else? And so who gets the blame for my selfishness? She does. And she is the blame. But she's the <laughs> I'm just trying to help Joe here, take some of the heat off of him. But uh, he's, he's, yes, sir? So what do you do? (laughs) When your child does something that God is using to sanctify you, what's your reaction to They're the problem, right? That's not what Paul says. Paul Paul said these are relationships that God is using to sanctify you, to undo all the problems that came up back in Genesis 3. All the broken relationship issues that came up there are being healed by God, being restored to his created order. But where's it going to look like the battle? Not in the heavenlies, but in the home. But that's not the battle. It just feels like that. Because that's the flesh and blood that we can see. Paul Paul says, it's not flesh and blood. Just give give up that notion. That's not who you're doing battle with. You're doing battle with the one who waged this war from the very beginning. Who wants to see you who wants to see you doing like Adam and Eve. Well, that woman, you gave me. Well, that serpent that you put in the garden, somebody else is to blame, not me. And as the pastor points out, when people come in for counseling and it's their fault, there's not much you can do. 
Paul says, recognize what the real problem is. The real problem is this is war. People are getting hurt. In fact, the closer we are to someone, the easier it is to hurt. And yet God has given us these relationships that sanctify us. supposed to be sanctified in our marital relationships, displaying a picture of God's character, showing his glory to the world. We're to do the same in our parent-child relationships. We're in the world, but we are different from the world. Let's flip to the other end of this section. Look at, uh, go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Can somebody read for us um, Ephesians 5, 1 to 21? How are we different from the world is the big question here. How are we different from the world? Listen, and we'll talk about it. Ephesians 5, 1 to 21. just have one little aside here. What's the next thing he talks about? Family relationships. Right there in the middle of this are these family relationships. So how does Paul say we are different from the world? Okay, some examples. Joe says almost any way that you can think of. Our, our behavior, our words, attitudes, our songs are different from the world's. 
the places I've worked, they have rap using music playing sometimes, and it's that nasty stuff. So I brought in an iPod negative. So some of the places I worked doing anesthesia, my other job. Uh, yeah, not at Southern Seminary. Um, so I brought in some triple E. And so they still get their rap, but man, is it powerful lyrics. And I just hope that it's just planting seeds there. Our songs are different. The tunes may be the same. We borrowed bar tunes, drinking songs. We borrowed the tunes from them and came up with hymns. It's because the words that we sing are different than the words they sing. So if we're different from the world, and what is the church? In the New Testament, the church, the, the, the term that we translate church is what? What's it really mean? I'm sorry? No? The called out ones. We are called out from the world. We are the, the church is the called out ones. God has called us out from the world. He's taken us from death, put us into life. We are the called out ones. So why in the world? Is he, if he's called us out of the world, why do we want to go back in? Why do we want to enter the fray again? Why not just call us out and isolate us from the world? Or call us out and then just take us home instead of this? Why are we to engage the world? Why are we? I'm sorry. We're selfish, so why do we want to? Why does God want us to be in the world? So, So we're not to be in darkness. Instead, we're supposed to be in light. In fact, we take light into darkness, do we not? So, but that sure is costly. That sure does hurt. When we go out into the world, they, they scoff at what we do. They laugh at the fact that we wouldn't be the way that they are in music, in behavior, in thought, in attitude, in any of these things. So, so why are we supposed to be in the fray? Yeah, we bring glory to God's name, bring sinners to repentance, and what do we call the ones who become part of the ones who repent? The called out ones. Where's he calling us out from? He's calling us out of the world. How do we get more out of the world unless we go back into it? So we're in the world, we're not of the world. We've been called out of the world, and God has 
sent us back into the fray. He's equipping us. He's sanctifying us. He's doing all these things for us, but he wants us to engage them, not to cloister ourselves in a monastery somewhere, not to, to go away and leave the world to its own devices, but to call out those who would come to faith. According to Jesus' teachings, how will the world recognize that we are different from the world? Our love. Our love for each other. John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Seems like Paul's writing somewhere, something like that here in Ephesians. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in our family relationships, how can we reflect God's glory how can we reflect our nature as the called out ones to a lost world? I'm sorry? By loving each other. You ever been with a group of people where husbands and wives do nothing but criticize each other? They, they sometimes will make it in jest. When we do that, we're behaving just like the ones that we're trying to please. What kind of a picture of God's character is that? If we treat our spouses, if we treat our parents, if we treat our children, we treat our family just like the world treats theirs. practical terms, what do we do? If this is the situation we're in, he says, do this as families. Here's why, because all the things that, all the tensions that you feel, that's really spiritual warfare going on. Before this section, he's talking about walking in love. Why? To reflect God's character. So practically, how does this work? What's it look like at breakfast in the home? How would breakfast be different if we really took this seriously? Any thoughts? being thankful in a way that our children see us being thankful. Learning how to be thankful. Yeah. That they get to learn how to be thankful and as we demonstrate thankfulness. (laughs) 
just talking about these teachings, sort of like Moses said in Deuteronomy 6. When you rise, when you lie down, as you go by the way, God write it so many different ways in Scripture? Because, yeah, we're, we're dullards. I mean, just in a word, we're du- we're, we just don't get it. Why? Because there's spiritual warfare going on. We're blinded to truth. We think we're behaving morally. as far as we think (laughs) moral our mind our ability to even think was broken at the fall that needs to be redeemed instead instead of what I think instead of your opinion instead of well let's just get together and sing kumbaya let's look at the word what's the word say open the word in our home and say does this seem like this is what's going on Tensions have been building in this house for some time. Let's just open this up and see, is this what's going on? If so, then how do we as a family put on the full armor of God? Why do we want to do that? Just to get along? Ultimately, why would we want to? question is not whether you are a witness for Christ. If you're called out by God from death to life, you're spirit-filled, you are a witness for Christ, and the world recognizes that. And more importantly than the people around you recognizing that, the deceiver recognizes that, and he wants to kill you. That's warfare. The enemy wants to kill so that ultimately he can defame the name of the Creator. So how, what, what else might this look like? Anything come to mind? What?
okay to show young kids that you are not perfect. Yeah, yeah. But I, see, I, I just wish Paul. enemy loses his power over your family if you live the gospel. I wish Paul had written this, you know, before my church. Oh, wait a minute. Now, I, I just need, I, I, honestly, I, I, I need to repent just like we all need to repent. So our kids that, that I'm sorry that I blamed you. When, 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 I, when I was just, I blamed you. When, when this happened, When it was the spiritual warfare. want you to think they're paying attention because they'd like to, to push you away, but, but they're paying attention. always in warfare. We're always in a war. The battle may be strong. The battle may have subsided a bit, but we're still at war. Don't take your armor off and lay it down somewhere. What's the difference between this warfare and physical warfare? Our, our nephew um, was a, a sniper in the army and, and he's He's, his comment was, and I think it really sums up the world's view of warfare, you never get used to being scared. The difference for us is we don't have to be scared. We can be in war and not be scared. What's the worst that the deceiver can do to you? Kill you. And then what? You're in the presence of the Savior. Oh, that's terrible. What's the next worst thing he can do to you? Make you do public speaking. Oh, no. That, that's actually the worst, right? Yeah. That. Greatest fear is public speaking. Second fear of most Americans is death. I don't know about dying while you're public speaking, but, but some. Um, 
our metaphorical chains bind us more tightly than Paul's physical chains. Paul's physical chains bound him to people to whom he proclaimed the gospel. But in the first century, some of those people may have ended up in north, in, in northern England, the northwest boundary of the Roman Empire, Hadrian's Wall. Somebody at Hadrian's Wall, when we toured that years ago, might have been chained to Paul one day and brought the gospel to the northern part of England. I mean, is that incredible the way that God would do these physical chains? Paul says, well, you know, pray that I'm going to be bold enough to keep sharing the gospel. I'm going to have the opportunity, and he did, and the influence abounded. But it starts in our homes, right? Next week, we're going to look at how we reflect God's holiness by rehearsing our eternal life, by practicing eternal life until we actually experience it fully. We're already in eternal life, right? When you were saved, it says you have eternal life, so that's already yours. But we're going to talk about how rehearsing that gets uh, brings God glory. But right now, if you're participating in this war that's been going on for 6,000 years, consider how it is you can better relate to those who are closest to you. If for no other reason, as if this isn't like the ultimate reason, just to show God to your neighbors. Even if it's not to have peace in the home, even if it's not for, for just your, your immediate family, do it for the neighbors. When you, when you want to lash out, just stop for just a second and think, what if the neighbors hear this? Is this really a good thing? Get, get you a, a, as I told you last week, if you put a, a Southern Seminary parking sticker on your car, you'll behave better on the highway. What kind of bumper sticker can you put on where, you know, is it? put one of those fish on your car, please behave. Please, please, please have your kids uh, behaving. How is it that the church then, because it, this is the church and, just one minute, how is the church supposed to be helping us in this? And we're going to look more at the church in two weeks as we wrap up, but, but right now, this is what you're supposed to be engaged in, so what's the church supposed to be doing? That, and the church, by the way, is your neighbors sitting here. So we are the church, so what are we to be doing for each other? I'm sorry? Building up, edifying each other, which means not gossiping, not not doing anything that demeans another member of the church, but building up. How do we build each other up when we're here? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We love each other when we're here. But at 12.30 on Sunday, we can stop that, right? And then we don't have to take that up again until we come back together Sunday night. <laughs> there, there's a, the, 
the called out ones at Fisherville. There is only one church, only one bride of Christ, and we are her locally expressed right here at Fisherville. That is us. We're the called out ones, and we're to be reflecting God's character to the neighbors around this building and to the neighbors around each of our homes. That's what we're supposed to be doing. As we go into our workplaces, we're reflecting that character. As the called out ones of Fisherville, that's what we're to be doing. As the ones who are in relationships, how do you talk about your family to others? How do you talk about your church to others? Oh, you wouldn't believe what I heard. The temptation's there because the tempter is always trying to get you to buy into the world. God put us back into the fray. Instead of calling us out and taking us home, he put us back into the fray for one purpose, and that is to bring him glory. So he's sanctifying us to bring himself glory. He's calling us out to bring himself glory. He's doing all these things to bring himself glory because he is the only one worthy of our glory. When we try to take the glory, we rob him. We set ourselves up for glory. Let's pray. Father, again, we just have to start with a prayer of repentance. How many times have we failed you even since dinner tonight? How many times collectively have we failed you this week? How many times have, have we as Fisherville, how many times have we as individual families that attend church here, that are part of this congregation at Fisherville, how many times this week have we failed you? Forgive us. Reveal those failings to us. Thank you for being gracious and not dumping it all on us at once, but but allowing us to see just the things you're working on today, this hour. Reveal those things to us. Continue to sanctify us. We know that we are in a war. Help us to keep on the armor of God. Help us to wear your armor so that we can defend our church, defend our families, defend ourselves defend your honor to the world around us that needs to hear the gospel. And like Paul, we pray for boldness. Even when we're in metaphorical or physical chains, we pray for boldness to be able to uh, share the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, something that seems like gibberish to the lost, but is just the most wonderful thing thank you for the one who came to provide that gospel, who came uh, who, who paid the price that we could never afford the one with whom we will join together at the wedding feast of the Lamb, until then Father we just pray that you would find us faithful in this world, it's in our Savior Jesus Christ's name that we pray for his sake